morning. Ladies, if I could have your attention, we're going to shift away from the little conversations we're having. I trust you're having some wonderful times around these tables. Looks like a great spread. A whole lot of good stuff going on here. Hopefully there's some leftovers. Right? That's my prayer. Always my prayer. I'm like a dog. You know, I'm just, I'll just wait for the leftovers. That's right. That's right. Not giving. So it really is a, on behalf of pastors, it is a privilege for me to stand here and to welcome. I don't know many of you for guests. My name is Doug Plank. I'm one of the pastors of Crossway. What really is a, a true honor to be able to speak to the, the, the more mature women of the church, the older women. Uh, it is a category that, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I, I, I don't mean that even slightly. I mean, this is the one crowd you don't talk about a few things. And I know that's, that's one of them. Please. I came in, I'm wearing slippers. I'm being very, very tactful right now. And even that didn't work. You still laugh. Um, think of other words, synonyms for older. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Wise, mature. There we go. Listen, I'm going to go with what the Bible says, all right? So you can be offended with, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to read what Paul the Apostle says, and if you have an issue, take it up with him, and uh, I'll just step out of the way. Now, truly, it is, a, it is an honor that, uh, to come to bring to you God's Word, and it is something the Lord, the Lord carries in His heart, is you, the older woman, the mature woman, the wiser woman. There are many times in the scriptures, whether it's 1 Timothy, whether it's, it's going to be places like Titus chapter 2, uh, where, where the apostles have you in view. That the older woman in the church, that you are a specific group that God carries on his heart. And there's a, there's a purpose that you fulfill. So I'm grateful to be able to have this opportunity to have the microphone for, for a little bit. Uh, maybe a lot of it, see what the Holy Spirit leads. But to have the opportunity to thank you, first and foremost, for your faithfulness, for your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus, to the church. And I'm a firm believer, truly am, that the health and the vitality of a church is not built upon the youthful zeal of the young people filling the pews alone. I don't believe that's how it works. That's not the vision of Scripture. I am a firm believer, rather, and I rejoice to see a beautiful mixture of young and mature, of the old and the young, and, and, and men and women together, mixed together, mixed together in a glorious mixture of fellowship. And I think that's the way the church is made healthy and well. So the health of this church in, in such a part rests on you, older women, mature women, faithful women. To do the work of love and nurture in the church. And I have personally been the recipient so many times of a motherly affection from many of you. I have been a personal recipient. And I can say my heart is steadfast in part because of your prayers and because of your care. And I mean that sincerely. That in part my heart is steadfast in the Lord because of your influence. Because of the way you are. And the influence you wield in the church of Jesus Christ as God's older sisters, right? The sisters of Christ who are more mature, who have gone further ahead, who, who know, have seen a few things, who understand how it works. 
You're able to pull a younger man like myself aside or a younger woman in the church aside and show them the better way. To show them the way of Christ. How Christ really truly is worth hanging in there for. How Jesus truly can help us endure hardships and trials in this life. So I'm very, very grateful. So it's a treasure. It really is a treasure for me to be here. It's a treasure for me to look out from Sunday to Sunday to see your faces and to know that your influence is being employed in the stabilizing of the Crossway Church. And, and the nutrients and the nurture that you bring is very unique. And it is highly strategic. Know this. The Lord has a highly strategic purpose for you. So... It's my desire as your pastor for you. If you're a member of Crossway, it's my desire as your pastor. But if you're not a member, you're just a visitor, please know it's my heart for you as well. uh, That you become even more fruitful in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and in your many actions of love. Okay? That you would be all the more fruitful going forward. So, we're going to go to God's Word this morning to, to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. So, you may have a Bible with you, you may not. You came ready for tea. So whether there's room on that table for for a Bible and your quiche, I don't know. But if you want Luke chapter 10, we'll be looking at the good portion. And we're going to get some nutrients from the Lord. And my question is, as we turn there, is what do you need right now? What do you need? That's That's a loaded question, right? Because that changes, right, from day to day. What do you need? I mean, yesterday, I don't know what you needed, but maybe that's different from today. Or maybe it's the same. I don't know. If you ask my nine-year-old, my nine-year-old needs a bedside lamp. That's the latest need in his nine-year-old brain. So, I mean, he's not even allowed to read at night. But he needs a bed, bed lamp, right? That's what he needs. My 12-year-old boy he, need, he said the word need, I need, and BB gun in the same sentence. I'm serious. That was a recent conversation. So for my 12-year-old, his world literally needs something to shoot. You know, I, I'm not going to argue. And he feels it powerfully. Powerful feeling of need. My 20-year-old, now the difference with a 20-year-old and a 9-year-old, as you know, is the needs just become exponentially more expensive. <laughs> So now, conversations with my 20-year-old son, who's now going to enter his junior year of college, like he needs trips to Florida, or he needs a new car, or he needs, you know, fill in the blank. And every time he says the word I need, I hold my breath. And I, I prepare myself to laugh. You know, because so often it's something well beyond the scope of his being able to afford, let alone his dad being able to afford. Uh, how easily a child can form the words I need. Right, without rightly apprehending or understanding exactly what they need. And I think we're the same way. I mean, my, my needs, and, and I trust your needs, are, are far more sophisticated than a nine-year-old, right? I need coffee. <laughs> Not tea, sorry. So I, uh, I brewed my own coffee, brought it here. It's delicious. Um, but I need, I have, I have sophisticated needs. You know, I, I have realist, more realistic needs for, and I understand it, a paycheck or I need food and shelter to be able to provide for my family a good night's rest and health and strength and so many things. And I, I trust that you, you come this morning with your own sense and apprehension of what you need. What do you need? And I ask that question again. So it's important that we go to Scripture to understand 
what God says. What does God say to you, dear sisters? What do you need? What does God say to answer that question? And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 10. So you may well know the story. This is a beautiful picture of two sisters, Mary and Martha, who are caring for their Savior, receiving their Savior to their home. And in this, in this setting, we're going to learn the lesson of the good portion. So I'm going to read the scripture from Luke 10, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll look further, okay? So Luke chapter 10, start verse 38. Now they went along on their way, as they went along on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we do come to you as the good portion. Lord, with you there is joy, there is safety. Lord, there is sweet and never-ending fellowship. There is fullness of joy. There is pleasures, everlasting pleasures at your right hand. Lord Jesus, we come as your disciples, these dear sisters and myself. We come in prayer, asking, Lord, for your help. Guide us into your truth, Lord, by your spirit. Lord, help us to gain what you would have us to understand. Lord, help us to let go of what you would ask us to let go of. For there will be some of both, Lord. At every stage of every disciple, Lord, there's something to let go of. There's something to release. And there's, there's you that we need to grip much more tightly. So, Lord, help us. Bless these dear sisters. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, my simple proposition for this morning is one thing's needed. And it should be obvious from the text, right? It's very clear. That's Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. And we're going to look at three different things from this text. We're going to be the making of need, the unmasking of need, and then the meeting of need. So, if you're taking notes... Uh, write it on your plate, whatever. Um, this is what we'll be doing. So let's take a look at the making of need. And where I'm drawing this from is verses 38 through 40. Because what happens initially in this story is that there's the scene needs to be set. You know, Jesus walks into the village, he and his disciples, right? It says that. It's almost like our needs, there's the making of a need. There's this background story. What you think you need has a plot to it, okay? There's a whole line of how that need came to land in your mind and heart. So now it it is a need. It's no longer just something floating out there. It's something that you feel that you need. You need this. Well, how did that get there? Well, let's trace that. That's where the plot comes in. And there's props and there's a stage and there's players on that stage that make up the storyline of our needs. It's the making of a need. And I think that's the case here, certainly, in, in the telling of this story as Luke draw, draws us, draws to our attention several different details. 
So let's look to the story. What happens? Well, Mary and Martha are both sisters to Lazarus. You may well know that name. Lazarus was the man whom Jesus rose from the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Remember that moment? What a beautiful moment, a powerful moment of Jesus that, re- that shows us the great power of Jesus Christ. That a word from the lips of Jesus is enough to make a man rise from the grave. That's who we're dealing with here when we talk about Jesus. And you know well that story of, of Lazarus rising from the grave. Well, Mary and Martha are his sisters, and they're here serving Jesus because they are partners with Christ. They are strategic partners, supporters of Jesus' own ministry. And this is a family dear to Jesus' heart. So there's three. There's Lazarus, there's Mary and Martha, all siblings. And these three are dear to Christ's heart. And Martha and Mary are both sincere disciples. And at various times they will show their faith. If you would go through the Gospels and simply look at the instances that Martha or Mary show up, you're going to find you can, you can do this and find that they're so devoted. They love Jesus. They absolutely are devoted to following him. They love him. And here, this situation is no different. Here, they're hosting Jesus and his disciples. These weary travelers, if, if, if you can picture with me, Jesus with his disciples, likely having walked many, many miles. They've arrived here to the town of Bethany where Lazarus and Mary and Martha reside. And here, they are received into their home. That the disciples and and Jesus received into Martha and Mary's home. And now Martha and Mary go about the activities as you likely have many times before done. You've saw to the the good and the well-being and the feeding and the provisions of people who come into your own home. And the burden that that is. It's a love. It's a burden of love. Right? When someone enters your home, you want the best for them. Especially if it's Jesus. (laughs) Like... This is the master. This is, this is the one whom you love and you are devoted to. And it's his disciples. So Mary and Martha feel that. They, they are, they're opening their home and their hearts and the demands of caring for people. And that's, that's something we all feel from time to time, right? The pressure of that. And like all of us, both Mary and Martha have very specific items on their minds and in their hearts. And those items, if you can think of it like a list, they exert an amount of pressure. They exert influence, so they end up superintending what Mary and Martha end up feeling, what they end up needing, what they feel that they need. That's what directs the path for them. It's what's in their heart. And as we see in the story, both of them chose two different things. So the choice of the moment, what drove them to do what they were doing, was the press of a need. You get that? Once you make that connection, there's a, there's a connection of the dots here. What was in their heart that they were convinced that they needed is what made them do and choose what they did. Okay, that's important. That's very important here. That's the making of a need. We're showing how these things lead to action and the attitude. And once you understand that, then we can begin to look at our own lives. Because you and I, we're not much different than Mary or Martha, right? We're, we're driven to and fro by our own desires, We're driven to and fro by our own perception of what we think we need. You have ideas of what you need today. Some of those things are good things. Many of those things are not good things. (laughs) And the problem is, how do we spot the difference? How do we understand how to divide between what is good and righteous and healthy for us versus what is not? Because many of the things that we think are good for us We're no different than Martha. Martha clearly was convinced what she was up to was righteous and good and perfect. 
She thought she was doing God's will. But what's the end of the story? You know it. She wasn't doing well. Here she was serving the Lord. Here she is giving her house and her stuff, her food, her provisions are being made for Jesus and the disciples. Yet Jesus has a word for her that's very instructive. It shows us that what she wanted, what she desired, what her need, the felt need of the moment was actually not righteous. It's important for us to know that. Just because it seems to feel righteous, just because even the fruit of it might seem to be righteous, doesn't mean in our hearts that it is altogether righteous. So that's important for us. Now we're going to look here at Martha. The demands are common. The demand of hospitality, of caring for people. Martha's opened the home. There are very specific things that need to be accomplished. She's racing to and fro. What what does the text say? It says that she, uh, in verses, let's turn there again. It says, woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. I don't know how many people she had over that day, but she was distracted with much serving. Maybe she was the only one doing it. I don't know. Maybe, uh, you know, there wasn't enough food. I don't know. You know, maybe she ran out of tea. You know, who knows what was going on that morning in her home. But we do know that she is very distracted and very anxious. And she's troubled by the whole situation. Maybe she's trying to impress. We don't know for sure. But there's a sense that she was being pressured, that the feeling of need was intense in her heart. So, so in Martha's case, she was distracted with much serving. Now we're going to look in the third point at Mary's case, because Mary is going to be the positive, the, the way in which we should go, the needs that we ought to feel and be driven by. But in this case, Martha shows us the danger of making particular needs front and center. Okay? So the making of Martha's need all seemed well and good. Her intentions seemed to check out. No alarms maybe were initially going off. And she wanted to simply open her home, bless her company. She wanted to simply provide food, provisions. But then, what was the reason for her becoming irritated? Ask that question. Why did she become irritated? What brought her to a point of becoming anxious and troubled? We see that in verse 41. That she became anxious and troubled. Jesus identifies that about her. Says Mary, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He looks right through. He sees her heart. He sees there's anxiety, there's irritation, there's these things under the surface of her serving, under the surface of her hospitality, under the surface of what could be perceived as a very good and righteous deed is anxiety and irritation. And it's those desires that pressed beyond the proper limits. So these are good things. It's good to open your home. So I think the point of the story, the moral of the story is not that Martha should just have sat at Jesus' feet and no one should have served Jesus' food. And in fact, you're doing wrong by being here today because you should be at home reading your Bibles and worshiping the Lord in private at all times. Like we should never leave or go anywhere. That's not the moral of the story, okay? The moral of the story is not that we should only ever worship like by singing and and, and praying and, and, and reading our Bibles. That's all we should ever do. And so any other thing such as providing for ourselves or or making provision for others or making our beds in the morning or anything else, you know, as though those things are secular activities that we shouldn't do. No, sisters, that's not the moral of the story. I hope you, I trust you understand that. But what is the problem? What is the moral of the story is that Martha's heart 
Though the outside things were getting done and tables were being served and, and Jesus may have eaten some of her food and provision, the trouble, the breakdown here is not the outward show. It's the inward flow. It's what's flowing in here. What's, the, what's, the, what's pressuring? What needs are pressing on her? So what should have been on the top of the list? What is the need of the moment for, for Martha? Well, it's the same need that we're going to look at in Mary. And that is the Jesus, the glory, the goodness of Jesus. He is the good portion. He calls himself that. Jesus is the good, good portion. So the moment that something that is good steps in the place above the good portion who is Jesus, it's no longer something good. So hospitality, I'll illustrate that. Hospitality for Martha, which is a good and righteous endeavor. When hospitality becomes more important than Jesus... It is no longer good. You get that? It has now become sinful. It's disordered. It's broken. It now is drained of any goodness. Because what is best is Jesus has been put underneath what is good. I hope, this, I hope that makes sense. So what's important here is that we note this. Is that we need to keep what is best always to the top. The good portion. Jesus must be at the top so that all that we do is in order. All that we do is orderly. All that we do is healthy. Otherwise, things are out of orbit. So, please know it's not the activities of Martha that are a problem here. It's her soul's treasure. It's what she's focusing on. It's what her heart is thinking about, what she's focusing on that is the breakdown. So the making of Martha's need is that she felt that she needed Mary to help her. She felt that Jesus was actually negligent, right? There's an accusation here. We're going to get into that the second point when we unmask need. But you have to understand how serious this is for Martha. She felt this so powerfully inside of her that she was willing to accuse Jesus of wrongdoing. Can you imagine the audacity of that? Accusing the Lord Jesus Christ of wrongdoing. And that's precisely what Martha was driven to do. So these feelings can come over us. The pressure can make us to be rash and to lose our bearings and our orientation of what is good and what is best. And it's important for us to see that. So sisters, please understand, the feelings of anxiety, of irritation in a troubled soul, they're like signals of something going on deeper that we would do very well to pay attention to. When your check engine light goes on, you don't ignore that. I hope you don't. I hope that you pay attention to that light when it goes on. It's there for a reason. Well, these emotions of irritation, of anxiety, of fear, those feelings are much like that dashboard light. When they go on, when you feel that, it is so important that we stop and we consider what's going on. On Something's out of order. And I promise you, as you ask the Lord to guide you by the Spirit to understand what your heart wants, that there's going to be something you're going to have to let go of. You're going to have to let go of something. And instead, you're going to have to take up what you really need, which is the good portion. So we need to move on to verse 41, to our second point, which is the, the unmasking. Of need. So we've looked at the, the, the making of a need, what's behind the story behind all of this, what's underneath the surface. Now we're going to look at the unmasking. Uh, a favorite cartoon, I, I apologize, I could not think of a, a, a more relevant 
uh, illustration than to think of Scooby-Doo. So forgive me if you've never heard of Scooby-Doo. Uh, he was a childhood hero of mine. Um, it was a cartoon show from back in the 70s and the 80s. So I'm a child of the 70s. I do remember watching Scooby-Doo as a child. It's a ridiculous cartoon about a group of teenagers that always outsmarts adults. So it's very, I mean, <laughs> I mean the bad guys of Scooby-Doo are really dumb because they're, un, they're like outwitted by teenagers and a dog. Um, and the bad guys always, it's interesting, that, that, that the, the zenith of the show, of every single episode of Scooby-Doo, was at the very end of the show, there would be the bad guy wearing a disguise. He was disguised the whole time. And they caught this, this, this person, and he's wearing the disguise. And one of the main characters, the good guys, would take the mask off. And it would be this big surprise that, oh my goodness, it's the butler or whatever, you know, whoever it was. And usually it was one of the kind of good guys in the, cart, in the story. You were, it was kind of a surprise twist there. That you would have thought this was a decent person throughout the story. Actually, no, this is not a decent person. This, was the, this is the guy at the, really, at the center of the crime. And Scooby and the gang would, would tear the surprise, would tear the mask off. And, and this is the way things usually go for us when we feel the need for things. At first and second glance, what we're looking at might seem to be good, might be, seem to be decent and necessary for us. But I think there has to be a depth of our, our thinking and our prayerfulness to, to take the mask off. We need a good unmasking. I think it's important for us to understand that behind these things, beneath the surface of an irritated, anxious need, or the pressure of that, is something that needs to be unmasked. We need to get to the bottom of this. So Luke gives us a couple of, of, of really a, a great walkthrough of how to do this, of what Jesus does to unmask the need. And turn with me in verse 40. He says, But Martha was distracted with much servant. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So right there, he unmasks and shows her what she said. There's two different things going on here. There's her perception of reality, and there's Jesus' perception of reality. And they don't match up, right? What does she say? Well, she, she believes she's going on as far as to accuse both Mary, her sister, and Jesus of being negligent, of wrongdoing. She's offended. She's actually offended with the people in the room that she's the only one up and serving. And she goes right to the jugular. She goes, Jesus, do you not care? She goes to the, wow, to accuse the Lord. And let's get this straight. Martha has judged Jesus. That's a serious thing. That's a problem. And what she felt that she needed and the desire of her heart has gone so far off track that she's willing to pass judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety and irritation leads us to places where we're actually willing to pass judgment over God. That's a big problem. This is, this is a serious business we're dealing with here. And it's important that we think about that. And Jesus cuts right to the heart. I love what Jesus' response in verse 41. He says, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. I mean, Jesus responds with such grace and mercy. I mean, he repeats her name, which is it's a, it's a clear sign of affection. It's warmth, it's affection, it's tenderness. 
but it's also corrective. I mean, if you can put your name in there, like if you were there in that moment and he said your name twice, you know, beachy, beachy. <laughs> Deborah, Deborah. You know, it's these Beth, Beth. Like those, or Beth, Beth, you know, or the other Beths in the room. Um, you know, to put yourself in that moment, to hear the Lord with affection in his voice, to address you, to repeat your name twice. And, and that her name appears twice in Scripture. That's remarkable. It's remarkable. He's bringing care. He's bringing correction. And he explains to her that she has been given over to many things, okay? What she has done is she has imposed upon herself a very complicated stream of different things from all different directions. And Jesus, what we'll find in the third point, there's only one thing that matters. There's only one river that really truly matters. But, but she's worrying herself about all these streams in all different directions. And the, when that happens, when we give ourselves to all these many things, he says, we shouldn't be surprised that anxiety, that irritation, anger, and all kinds of chaos begins to build up inside. We should not be surprised that we begin to break down. We should not be surprised. I don't know where bust bunnies, bunnies come from. I don't understand the physical laws or the laws of nature. Why dust gathers in big clumps under furniture. I, I am sure none of you have any dust bunnies anywhere to be found in your homes. Uh, I don't know how it happens. My children are supposed to be cleaning under the furniture, but there's inevitably some, like that's one of their chores. They have like a dusting wand and they go around and, and well, there's inevitably like very large dust bunnies. And uh, they're found somewhere in the house, under beds or wherever they might be. But I don't know how they form. It's a mystery there. But it's no mystery here how Martha had a dust bunny of desires that, that, and needs, felt needs. That gathered and created this storm that she then erupts in an accusation of Christ. It's not a surprise to Jesus. It might be a mystery to us. But So well, let me ask you this. What are you anxious about? You know, if you were to look at the different ways, the different directions, the many things that troubled Martha, what are the many things that trouble you today? What are you scared about? What is it about your life today that is pressing on your soul, that you're, you're frightened about, that there's anxiety or even irritation or anger, or the sense of, why am I here still? Why am I doing this? I, you know, the sense of, I don't like this. Where are you this morning? What is pressing on you? How might an unmasking of your heart reveal? What would that reveal? If Jesus would remove that mask of your needs and those fears and those anxieties, what, it, what would it reveal? Because for Jesus unmasking Martha, she is found to be desiring the wrong things. And Martha's undoing, by the way, it was, it was gradual. I think it's likely gradual for us. Usually, we don't start irritated and anxious. Like, we don't wake up in the morning, usually, you know, already guns blaring, irritated and anxious about what's going to happen in the day. Usually, we have to get into the day for things to begin to unwind, for situations to begin to develop, for dust bunnies to begin to, to build up before we, we end up going where, sadly, where Martha went. So this feeling of need often can grow until it's loud and controlling. It's a very brash and a very loud and a very controlling feeling, isn't it? When you feel the need for something. 
And it makes us to do rash things and to say rash things. It makes us to go about our life in an anxious or irritated way. And it can be very high, it's going to be highly intoxicating. It, 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 for Martha, we see that she was swept away. Swept away, intoxicated by this feeling of need. That she was willing to say what she said about Jesus, accusing him of lacking care. So Martha's need, as we can look at it here in this text, her need was driven by Jesus' revelation. It was, it was driven by a growing and ugly presence of anxiety, fear, and the, which is simply a form of unbelief. And put it this way, it's almost as though we look at our situation as it is, at the bad stuff that's going on, or whatever's pressing down on us, whatever's creating the anxiety or stirring it up, What we're judging God to be is unfaithful and not so good. And when we get to that point of judging Christ, of not caring, what do you think your natural inclination is going to be? You're going to seize control. If God is not under control, if God doesn't have this, and if God's not that good to me, I got this. Somebody's got to look out for me. So I'm going to do it. And guess what happens when you grab it? It doesn't go very well. Because you're not God, (laughs) right? And when you grab it and try to seize control, the only methods we know how to really get control of people is either by manipulating or getting angry or by becoming withdrawn or avoiding problems because we don't want to have to face them. You know, there's all these really bad things that occur when we try to get control when we're trying to seek our own good apart from God. And that's exactly what Martha's doing. The unmasking of her need is that she believes that God is not that great. God is not that good. That Jesus doesn't care. So therefore, who's got to look out for Martha? Martha does. So she seizes control. And in her attempts to seize control, she melts down. Do you have, have you felt that way? <laughs> I know I have. Oh my goodness. That feeling, it's such a terrible feeling. You know, that feeling that it's out of control. Lord Jesus, why am I here? Why did you put me here? Why, why, what do you expect me to do, Lord? And then you get angry, become embittered, and you begin to say and do things and feel things that you know are ugly and wrong. You know it. Sister, you know it. I know it. And yet we go into it willingly because, why? Because we're choosing to believe God is not good, God is not faithful. In that moment, it's a moment of atheism, really, that unbelief. So we take matters into our own hands. Well, that's precisely what Martha did. She was irritated, she was angry, and she was anxious because she believed Christ didn't care, wasn't good, and that he didn't have it under control. So she had to deal with it. And one of the symptoms, it's interesting, one of the symptoms of her anxiety and fear and the fact that she didn't believe God is good, notice what she does. One of the symptoms is she blames other people. For people who are prone to blame others, Guess what? They're the problem. <laughs> That's precisely what Martha's showing. It's the symptom of her anxiety and self-centeredness. And of her accusing God of not being good is that she goes on to blame God and blame Mary for the meltdown she's experiencing. That's interesting. And I feel that. I mean, how often am I in that situation where there's a, I'm in the middle of a meltdown? And where am I tempted to look? I'm tempted to look outside of myself and at other people. Try to point fingers. Oh, this is the reason this is breaking down. When all the while, what Jesus is going to show us in this third point, Jesus is going to show us that actually the breakdown, the meltdown is you. It's me. It's us. 
It's not our situation. Our situation is just the test tube. It's just the, the situation. It's just the, it's just the stage on which our heart is playing out. Now, it's not the issue. The heart of the problem is in here. So let's go to the third point, because this is where Mary gets things right. Mary can demonstrate to us what is most important, the good portion. So the meeting of need. So we come now to Mary in verse 42, and this is what Jesus says about Mary. He says, but the Lord answered Martha, and this is in response again to Martha's accusation. He says, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And what is the good portion? Well, we look back at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary. And what was she doing? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus commends Mary. He says of Mary, Mary is choosing the good portion. She's sitting, submitting to my teaching at my feet with devotion and love. And Jesus in this is pointing out to Martha what her hospitality should have been like. He's not saying to Martha and to us, again, that we need to abandon all earthly activity, that we should only read our Bibles and pray all the time. No, he's saying the manner and the attitude of our, and the posture of our soul needs to be what Mary was doing by sitting satisfied, sincere, devoted to Christ. That needs to be the, in our heart, that we need to be like Mary in our hearts as we engage this world and worldly activities. So we go about changing diapers or, or washing dishes or going to work or a career or whatever it is we're doing that we do all for the glory of God. Right? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, whether you drink, do all for the glory of God. That's the Paul, Paul's word on this. And that's what Jesus is saying to us here, is that Mary shows us the attitude and the way in which we ought to be living. is submitted to, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only Jesus whom we need. He's the one, the only. Jesus tells us that. He says only one thing is necessary. And it's the good portion. Him, only Jesus, only the Lord Jesus Christ, sisters. And many of you know this. Many of you walk this out. You understand when I say Jesus is all, you get it. You get it. Jesus is all. He's all. He's my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. That's Psalm 16, verse 5. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. And that's Psalm 73, verse 26. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. The good portion. That's Psalm 142, verse 5. Mary's in good company. The psalmists understood. They tasted and saw that the Lord is good. They understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is life. To have a life that lives, that flourishes, you need Jesus. End of the sentence. There's no comma there. All you need, what is necessary, Jesus says, will not be taken from Mary. It is one thing. It is himself. He is the good portion. To be in his presence, to be submitted to his purpose, to be convinced of his glory and his goodness. That is the good life, sisters. I know many of you know this. That's the good life. Do you want a good life? Jesus is the life. 
This is the good portion. This is to be fully alive. And Mary is guided by her need. Think about this. What got her to Jesus' feet? What prevented her from walking about anxiously, troubled, overwhelmed by the hospitality of the moment? What guided her to Jesus' feet? Here's how. Her heart. She knew it. She felt it. What she understood that she needed was Jesus. What gets you to sit submitted, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ is your perception as well. That you understand what you need the most is simply Jesus. When you get that, you will naturally glide to his feet. You will stay at his feet. You will not move on from his feet. You will stay under his word, trusting in his promises, clinging to him in faith. And maybe for some of you this morning, you're not a Christian. Or there's a confusion about this. I would urge you, would you cry out to Jesus today? If you don't know him, if you don't get what I'm saying about Jesus, would you cry out to him today? He's listening. He is the living God. He is the only Savior. He came to this world to die for sinners. And he rose from the grave and now seated at the right hand of the Father. And there he he shall come to judge this world one day. And without him, we're lost. Without him, we will perish in the judgment. So my urging to you this morning is that you would call to him. He's listening. And he will help you understand. He will help you get it. If you don't have it, he will get it for you. That's, That's his promise to you. That's the gospel. Okay. So Martha was not guided as Mary was. Mary was guided by her need to sit at the Son of God. She understood. She rightly understood. Think about this. If you were to walk in the room and there's God, think about this. Where's the one place you probably should go? To the Lord Jesus Christ, to sit at his feet. Martha, if you think about it that way, it kind of clarifies what the breakdown was for Martha. Right? There's the Son of God, or here's some other things. It's like, I mean, it's like there's really not a, there's not a debate there, right? That's, that's kind of like door number one, like untold riches and pleasures. Door number two, dust. Um, I mean, pick, choose, just, choose this day who you will serve. You know, a merciless, you know, master who doesn't have a clue or the Lord Jesus Christ who loves and, and will care over you, provide for all of your needs. I mean, it's not a decision. It's not a debate. It's, it's a done deal. And Mary was rightly guided by faith to sit at the Lord Jesus Christ's feet so that nothing else mattered, right? Nothing else mattered. And Martha, on the other hand, whom Jesus corrected, had multiple things that mattered to her. And this is where we need to let go of something. I want to challenge you as we get to to wrap this up here. Is that Jesus will have no rivals. If we're going to be his disciple... We know well the many things that he says as he was on earth. That you may only have one master. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and fill in the blank, family. You cannot have God and something else. It must be one God, one master, Jesus. And therefore, wherever we are showing anxiety, wherever we are showing irritability or anger, Chances are, it's like that dashboard, chances are it is connected to something that you are out of order with. You are making a master. 
We get anxious when we find other gods. We get irritable when we are serving something other than Jesus. Okay? So when you feel those things, those ugly thoughts and feelings come in your mind and heart, you, you have to stop. You have to ask, Lord, search me and know me. Or test my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139. Would you pray that today? If you're anxious, if you're angry, if you're perceiving life through a lens that is different than what is being shown here. Mary got it. Mary chose the good portion and it would not be taken away from her. And I want to leave you with this thought. Just think about the force and the power of what Jesus says in verse 42. Mary chose the good portion. And listen to these last words. Which will not be taken from her. That's another way of saying what Romans 8.39 says. For nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. You can only keep one thing in this world. Only one thing. And my urging to you is you choose wisely. You can keep Jesus, you will lose everything else. We can keep Christ. That's all. And I think it's important for us to know that and to think about that this morning, brothers, our sisters, as we, as we chew on what does Christ have us here for? To have him, to know him, to love him. That's the purpose of life. That's where the fullness of life comes. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. The mighty fortress is our God. What a wonderful verse that is. That our only hope, all we have is Jesus. We can keep Jesus. And Jesus is the good portion and he's all we need. And that's the good news for us this morning. Isn't it? It's good news. We have Jesus. He's, he's made it. He's availed himself to us. And we must, we must go to him. We must sit at his feet and remain by his side. So only one thing is needed. So stay close to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I do ask your blessing on these dear, dear sisters. Lord, thank you that so many of them call on the name of the Lord. And Lord, so many of them have tasted and have seen that you are good. Lord, that you are better than this life. Lord, that you are our only good. Jesus, so many in this room know you, love you, fear you, and desire to live for you more and more. And I pray for every sister, whatever station of life they find themselves in, whether married or single, whether a grandparent, or whatever they're doing in this, in this season of life, whatever, their, whatever plow their hand is upon, Lord, I pray, Jesus, you would strengthen them, would help them to be single-minded. Only Jesus but that he would fill their minds and their hearts, that he would fill their desires. Lord, he would fill everything about them because we can only keep you, Jesus. You're all we can keep. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us, all of us know that he is enough. Father, help us to know that Jesus is more than sufficient, that his grace is overwhelming. And Lord, in his presence is fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Lord, if that is the case, we don't want to go anywhere else. We want nothing else. So I pray your blessing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.